I'm George Kamidi, and you're listening to First Watch. Welcome to the first in our series of four episodes recorded live at RSA 2022. It's been 28 months since last cybersecurity teams and companies gathered in person at RSA, and this year's theme is Transform. For this series, I wanted to talk to a variety of security leaders about what has changed in the risk landscape since 2019 and what has changed in the role of security teams themselves. We start this series with the legendary Karen Wurstel. She's currently Senior Cybersecurity Strategist at VMware Carbon Black, and she is well known for her roles as CISO for high-profile organizations such as Russell Investments, Microsoft, and AT&T Wireless. So let's get started with Karen Wurstel. Karen Wurstel, welcome to First Watch. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks, George. Yes, I am thrilled to have the chance after two years, and I'm sorry to the podcast listeners who've heard it many times, to be able to actually meet everybody in person. We have been doing a lot of these over Zoom, and it's just not really the same. It isn't the same. It's so great. It's one of the best parts of RSA this week. Yeah. Um, I think several people have said, oh, I listened to this really cool session, but it was also great to see that somebody is like way taller than I imagined them to be, or, you know, I actually got to see this person I've been talking with for a year and a half or something. Um, So this year's theme is transform. And I thought we could start there. And I wanted to get your take on how have you seen security operations transformed over the last two years, which has sort of been a reckoning of sorts. I think um, in 2019, we had uh, a couple of our customers, you know, they had a digital transformation roadmap, whatever. Now it's like transformation, unintended or otherwise, it happened. And it's sort of here to stay. So wanted to get your take at at the larger macro level, and then we'll kind of drill into some parts of that. Sure. You know, when I think of transformation and transform, I think of it as an intentional act. That oh, this is point. something that we want to do. We have an in, we have an intention behind it, mm-hmm. and it's something that we want to achieve. And so, the the transform it can be, you know, a transformational program or a, you know, whatever that might be, mm-hmm. organizational change. Um, I think what's happened in the last two years is transform is being done to us uh-huh that's a good way of putting and it. it really came home to me as i was sitting between rick mcelroy and and chad skipper on our session on tuesday morning because i was moderating the session they're two experts in the area of um you know the modern bank heist is what we were talking uh-huh. about but also um experts in um evaluating malware and cyber attacks and the thing that the the light that went on for me during the session was we can put all of the best strategies in place they're not even strategies anymore they're responses mm-hmm. to the things that happened to us yesterday and by the end of the day today it will be something new yes and so and so i think it takes this idea that we're in control away Mm-hmm. that um, we are in response mode 
so much of the time. And while we can still plan ahead and say, this is what I would like to have in place. This is how I would, this is what constitutes, you know, due diligence to a defensible standard of care. That's what I, the phrase Mm -hmm. I like to use from a transformation standpoint. Um, It's going to be adjusted and tweaked 24 by seven. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's, that feels to me like new. You know, however we organize, there's the the internal intention about what we do with transform, and then there's all the externalities that adjust our plans. Yeah, and I think we have a lot more going on that's adjusting our plans than we did two years ago. Seems like it to me. Yeah, I, I think in many ways, again, if you go back to 2019 and and you had this intentionality, let's migrate to the cloud. Let's take up these new collaboration systems because we want to help our, we have a lot of uh, pharma customers. They wanted to equip their R&D teams in Argentina to communicate more quickly with teams in the UK. There's a way to plan for that. And then COVID hits, everything stops. And then what was, it wasn't a nice to have, but it was a, a business initiative became a business imperative because people mm-hmm. just could not work. Um, I feel like we're still in a, a place where those security plans are playing catch up because they they didn't have the, the long planning cycle. It was like, turn on Microsoft Teams, turn on Slack because no one can communicate and then we'll figure it out <laughs> later. Um, or we'll figure out... Um, Oh, don't worry. You know, we just need this license for like three months because we'll all be back to normal. And then, once people get used to it, it's it. You're not turning. It's never going back. You're never going to turn the clock back right. to what it was exactly. Right. So, what transform can be for us now is transform in a world of constant change. Mm-hmm. Right. Where we, you know, where we have to, we have to plan ahead for a future that is full of uncertainty and learn to be comfortable with the uncertainty and learn to bake that in, that kind of flexibility Mm -hmm. to the way that we plan. I'll give you a really good example from the past because I've lived through this in multiple generations and iterations over time. When the internet internet happened in the mid-90s and it became commercialized so that we could start using Mm -hmm. it for e-commerce, all of us were caught in a, it was very similar to a COVID moment, like we just experienced it, where our systems were not ever designed to be connected to the outside world. Mm-hmm. They were all intended to live in a bubble. Yeah, or the, or the, the castle and moat model, right? Yeah, so. castle, moat model, bubble, whatever you want to call it, right? Hard, crunchy outside, mm-hmm. soft, dewy center. Yeah. And, and that went away almost overnight. Mm-hmm. When, when companies, and, and so really what it was, was this constant embracing of, oh, we could do this. Oh, this could change. Oh, guess what? We just got hit with malware that, mm-hmm. you know, previously wouldn't have come into us through any other channel, but the internet, you know, now we're hit with that. And so we were constantly adapting. And I think what's happened that's different now is that the rate of that change has has oh, yes. really accelerated, and so um, the the back in the days of you know when the internet was happening, and then e-commerce, and then cloud, and all of that, 
we sort of coined this idea that we had to build future-ready security. That you can't build security based on what you know today. Yeah, by the time you get it implemented, you might be It's obsolete. <laughs> it really is, mm-hmm. right? So don't, and, and, and there's another term we like to use called asbestos security, right? Asbestos security <laughs> is like the security that served its purpose in, in, for the pr- purpose for which it was intended at the time when it was the best that we had. But it's already something that has to be ripped out and replaced. Yeah. And so, and so to avoid that cycle, which is expensive and frustrating and, and not productive, is to do some, do some, you know, crystal ball, call it the art of the long view, mm-hmm. look at the plan down the road and say, in order for my security and the investment that I'm making in security now, I need to be planning for the future. And this is a future of uncertainty and change. So what is it that I'm going to build into my system for uncertainty and change, it's going to be f- adaptability, flexibility, and I, I have to have the security that enables that instead of blocks it. Yeah, and I think that raises a myriad of sub points. But let me drill into the. I was going to ask you about the transformation of the CISO role, but now I'm going to. I'm not going to ask that question. I'm going to ask. If it requires a, a transformation of how we secure systems, that seems to implicate a necessary transformation of mindset, which I think goes further to what do you think that future-ready security planning would require of the talent and the skills, right? So if you uh, overly rely on certain specializations of today, it strikes me that that is going to sort of kneecap your operations because you don't have either the, the talent or the processes to adapt very quickly. So do you think that there's a transformation required in, in the talent that we're recruiting and in the, in the mindset that we bring to security programs? Just curious for your take on that. Um, I'll, I'll re- do a little bit of reflection first and then, mm-hmm. and then as a way to answer the question. When we started building our security teams, and I'm thinking back to way back to um, Boeing days, okay, mm-hmm. when I was working at Boeing, um, we didn't have security skill sets. We just had people who were really interested in doing very cool things mm-hmm. and in learning new stuff and figuring out problems all of the time. And that made the I would say the best security program, best security people. We've, I've always had the privilege of working with really incredible people, but that was the thing that taught me that that's what I'm hiring for. That curiosity. Well, it's it's curiosity, but it's not being rattled by the change. Mm -hmm. It's kind of embracing the change. It's like instead of instead of framing something as, oh, oh, rats, you know, this is Mm. a problem. No pun intended. Um, um, we have an opportunity like this is going to be so cool when we get it figured out Mm -hmm. right and then the job becomes sizing up the task and 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 tracking it you know to completion and helping remove the barriers so that a team of smart people who who can 
who can who like to tackle those problems can we can get out of their way and they can get the job done and that is what i would if i were telling someone to hire for it's that above what is your certification set and right. skill set right that while that always show you know demonstrates a certain amount of of ability to get things done and and an interest and persistence you know um, that is not at the end of the day going to help them keep up with what we're facing right what what they need what we need to have those organizational structures that help us support people who are very very bright who are interested in making an impact and making a difference and giving them what they need in order to do that put the gnarly problem in front of them mm -hmm. and say here you go like we got to get this done from an organizational standpoint does that touch on i think about um you know job descriptions and sort of mm -hmm. like security working very intentionally with hr like look the the this is the kind of candidate i need this is what i'm looking for does it also entail, uh, I'm trying to think of practical organizational processes. Do you need innovation teams? Do you need um, a certain amount of slack in the leash to let them you know, try and problem solve outside? I'm just curious as to like how, at an organizational level, would you, would you get, engender and cultivate that attitude of adaptability? Well, I think you hire for the adapt you mm -hmm. you you hire for the personality and the um, you know, you hire for the personality and the the demonstration that people have this kind of interest, okay. um, right? Yeah. Not um, none of the people that we hired to do our early security programs had security training. Yes, good point. Right, yes. mm -hmm. and so. And so, while I think that is a, to a certain degree helpful, I don't think it's. I don't feel it's essential. I feel what and and, and so to your point, you asked the question about HR. We have to work within organizational frameworks, mm -hmm. right? We can't just kind of go at it completely willy nilly. And um, job descriptions matter because that is pegged to compensation. Yeah. So if I want to hire someone at a certain level of expertise, right, that has that kind of I can solve any problem, um, that attitude, then I'm going to need to come up with a creative description of the kind of job that they're going to be doing and the expectations of what performance looks like um, under, under those categories. I need to make sure that it's got the right language in it mm -hmm. so that I can hire them in at a level that's appropriate. Um, and then I've got to figure out organizationally how do I how do I create this kind of organization that gives them um, the that that give that makes me remove the barriers, whatever barriers might be in their way to get the job done. I'll tell you something that was the most the most fun environment I think where I ever worked was yeah. at SRI International. Okay. And the we did consulting for top level Fortune 50 companies on cybersecurity. And um, it was a small practice, but it was 
it was doing you know a you know pretty high level of revenue um and the way we described ourselves to the rest of the world was after you've been to other places and they've told you it can't be done come see us oh that's brilliant <laughs> right and what what did that do the whole team adopted that level of kind of mindset we could solve anything if we mm -hmm. wanted to right all we need is to have the res the the you know the resources and and the ability to, to the pr and there's a certain a process that goes along with mm -hmm. that how to how to make that happen that and create that kind of value but once we got those people together it was incredible you know what they got done yeah that's very powerful um and it, and it speaks to that i i mean maybe uh homework for the CISOs listening to this is you need to develop like a that quick vision statement that empowers the people to, to put their minds into that proper gear. Back with Karen Worstel in a moment. If you like this episode of First Watch and want to hear others, hit subscribe. You can catch up on past episodes like our interview with Mary Galloway about representation in cybersecurity and closing the talent gap. And you'll get new ones straight to your feed. Now, let's get back into it with Karen Worstel. We've been looking, I think, forward a lot, right? We've been talking about like how how to uh, adapt to these circumstances. I do want to come back to the present and think about how security operations have been transformed and and turned to the employees. So I, I had the privilege of talking with Russell Eubanks yesterday, and he, his worry is that um, after two years of a lot the ransomware onslaught, um, BEC spiking. It's probably not no end in sight there. Um, we've asked a lot of security teams and his chief concern is, is burnout because mm. yeah. as we all know, there is a talent shortage gap, um, whether that's of our own creation or not is another matter, but what a terrible thing to have not enough people coming in, but also, uh, burning out. We're in a net negative. That's an extremely dangerous place to be uh, for the American economy. So I was hoping you could provide some perspective on where you see the, I guess, the current attitudes and, and uh, level of burnout with security employees today. Yeah, they, um, yeah I'm glad you brought that up because um, I hear that more and more. It's it's becoming top of mind mm -hmm. in terms of the one of the big issues that we do face, and the reality is that according to the study that VMware did on the Global Incident Response Threat Report, um, we found that fifty seven percent of the cybersecurity professionals that were interviewed were self identifying as burned out, and of the people in the SOC, 65% were looking to leave for good. Like, that is untenable. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. It isn't. But it is. A, so it it is, yes, it's a data point, mm -hmm. right? And so we have to look at that and say, what should we be doing about that? And um, I do think I do think it speaks to maybe a corner that we've painted ourselves into a little bit mm -hmm. with our hiring practices. So the, the, you know, 
it still is a problem that we ask for an entry-level position and they have an CISSP. Right, right, which is absurd. Which is impossible. Right. And so we still have some of those kinds of practices that are creating barriers mm-hmm. for getting people in the door. The, I, I see a ton of great work out in the schools, like the community mm-hmm. colleges, the boot camps, um, job, um, uh, I think it's the San Francisco mm-hmm. has a program here in the community colleges that, that partners with companies in order to create internships and move people quickly yes. into um, entry-level cybersecurity roles. Yeah. So we have a ton of great stuff going on all over the country, and money is being poured into making that happen. I love to look at the stuff, for example, that Lynn Dome is doing with WISIS mm-hmm. and what they're doing with SANS to you know, really get more and more uh, women into, into entry-level roles and, be a, and above, right? So there's a great deal of work happening on the pipeline. Um, I don't think that's our big problem. I think our big problem is in retention. Yes. And development, retention and development. Yes, I was going to say, I mean, one symptom of burnout is, yes, surely it's uh, workload, you know, living at work, essentially. Um, But also, certainly, if, if you don't see the possibility of promotion as a result of that hard work then it just feels like you're running into a wall every day yeah um i think i think the bigger issue maybe i mean promotion certainly people need to Mm -hmm. have there's a certain group of people i think it's a subgroup of people within um the cybersecurity community not necessarily everyone who need to have external recognition about what they're doing. Right. And I think extrinsically motivated versus Right, right. And then there's a group that's intrinsically motivated that is going to do it just because it's the coolest profession in the world. Right. Right? Um and the the burnout happens though from this from this relentless change in which we're in a reactive mode all the time uh-huh. when you can never get ahead and feel like You've actually accomplished something. I remember when my kids were really small. I had two very small toddlers at the same time while I was in grad school. And um, I uh, started taking up needlework because it was the only thing I could see at the end of the day that tangibly was still complete. Right. Right? That I had done I had done two rows of stitches right. and they were going to be there tomorrow. Yes. There was a clear pre and post. There <laughs> yeah. was those were not there before and I have applied effort and they're there now. Right. And so um, I think one of the problems we have with cybersecurity is it feels like it's never done. Mm-hmm. Um we don't. We tend to always be operating, and this came up in here this week in, in at RSA. We tend to always be operating in this idea of constantly trying to move the needle on on against an invisible a- adversary against which we are completely outnumbered, mm-hmm. and we and and that is not a winnable, tenable metric. So having something that says we have an outcome. There is an outcome here that we're going to achieve this outcome. And maybe the outcome is something like um, we used this outcome in a project a few years ago where we were going to 
design the security so we had integrity of all transactions hitting the general ledger to within two cents. Mm-hmm. That's doable. Right, and and yes, there's a, there's a finish line. And there's right. a finish line. Mm-hmm. And there's something you can actually mark off and say this is really done. It's like two, two lines of stitches, you know. Right. We, get, we did that, yeah. and it mattered. And I think it's important for us maybe to start talking about security accomplishments in terms of outcomes. Because we can't, we are, if, if you look at all of the graphs and everything else about the growing technology gap, about the security gap, about the, the numbers of vulnerabilities and how they're being released, mm-hmm. and our teams are never closing that gap. It only gets bigger. So you, right. you That's have part and parcel of the, the gig, really. It, it is, but you can reframe it. Mm-hmm. You have to. You have to reframe it into something that's achievable. Yes. And in, in even if it's not the whole thing, right? right? So I think that's a that's a big piece of it. Yeah, I guess that gets towards that what you'd said earlier was uh, retention and development, right? They have to, if you come in as a, a tier one SOC analyst, you have to be able to develop in that role and we must retain you because if you burn out then we're constantly replacing the, f- the first tier and we're not getting your skill set up to a, a place where you can get to those outcomes where you can join in the sharing of, of an outcome or a mission accomplished maybe we could look at the way we run our organizations and again this is going to be constrained probably by budget but we might have to bite this bullet and just say look I can't ask SOC analysts to run one marathon after another. Right. That's not tenable, right? Not mm-hmm. sustainable. Maybe maybe do it once back to back, but not every freaking weekend. Yes. And so maybe the part of this is that we have, you know, uh, a redu- a, not a not a re- redundancy is not the right word. I'm looking for like a, an A team and a B team and a C team, mm-hmm. right? And people get a break. Yeah. Like we have to kind of, okay, you just missed all of Christmas because of Log4j. Right. Right? So let we're not going to have you continue this on every holiday all through the year. Yeah. And because we know you, you can have a break mm-hmm. because there's another team of qualified people and we're and we're 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 subbing you in and out. Yeah. I think that might be something we really need to look at because we're asking too much. Yeah, and we're running into the limits of of human psychology and attention, right? Like the human mm-hmm. mind is not really wired biomechanically to to spend that much time on on a problem, but also um, the creativity that you pointed to earlier that you need to solve these quote unquote unsolvable problems requires creativity that is um, combinatorial. And you can't pull in other experiences, you can't pull in other skill sets if you're running on fumes, right? That's that's true. And and I think in the work that I've done with with women and in coaching women, mm-hmm. the thing that I noticed is what we don't allow ourselves is actual real play. 
It's right. like yes, yeah, so I want to. Say, I want you to say more about that. I want okay, to dig in there. Play is play is what our brain uses. It's, it's like sleep time. Mm-hmm. We we the two things we take as completely discretionary are play and sleep, right? Our brain absolutely needs those, and our brain and our spirit. Yes, you know, but we have to have a way for all of those connections in our brain to get cleaned up, you know, the synapses, whatever happens up there. I'm not a neurobiologist, right. but all of those things that happen up there happen during times when we're not working. Yes. And when we can't shut off, when we take our problems home, when we mull on them all night and don't get enough sleep, when we basically say, oh, how sweet, isn't that nice that you get to go play? I've got work to do. Mm-hmm. And continue to the grind over and over again you know all all work and no play makes uh karen a a dull girl (laughs) like right i i've got to i've learned i had to learn and i had to be given permission and i actually probably had to have a therapist yell at me (laughs) (laughs) and before i got to the point where i realized that it isn't like kind of like this oh nice to have right the, the thing that really brought it home to me and I had this killer schedule, of course, and I was flying all over the world. And I think I had a trip from a trip from Washington to Australia, and then I went from Australia back to Washington, then I went to Hawaii, and then I flew from Hawaii to Tel Aviv. And it, that was all like Woof. in the course of about 15 days. Like, it was ridiculous. And then... We went, my husband and I, I mean, and, and this has a an effect on yeah. the people around me. I mean, I'm living a life that's kind of on, was supercharged mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And then um, the family around me was uh, having that secondary impact. Anyway, we went to, we went on vacation. We go on vacation, very nice place to stay, gorgeous vacation for a week in paradise. And at the end of a week, after an incredible time, my husband goes, I'm not ready to go back. I am not ready to go back. And I'm like, what is wrong with this picture? Mm-hmm. When we just did a, you know, a week of decompression time, it doesn't work for us to do it that way. Right. It, you can't just say, I'm going to you know, work hard, play hard, mm-hmm. and it's going to be work hard for 360 days a year and five days I'm going to take off. Like, right. you can't do that. Yeah. You've got to go. You've, we've got to, and I, I just had a conversation with my own doctor, not to get too personal, but I just had a conversation with her this, just now. She's like, every day, Karen, every day, you have to make sure that you give your body mm-hmm that regeneration time for you know breathing and i think it's important for leaders to impart like do not feel guilty for taking the break because you actually don't add any value if you come in exhausted and spent like i you're not helping the business if you're you know dead on your feet right so right and and i've been in environments when we were when i was a chaplain at um, the va mm-hmm. we had twice a day mindfulness moments Mm -hmm. and i'm going to be honest with you i wanted to gouge my eyes out (laughs) i don't i don't like other people imposing mindfulness moments on me (laughs) but it's a great reminder that says you have to take this time like whether whether we learn to do it in a group with other people in community and kind of do it on somebody else's schedule or whether we have the discipline to do it on our own Mm -hmm. we 
we must recognize that we are a spirit ha- we are spirit having a human experience mm-hmm. and we have to recognize that it's body and spirit and they go together and they have to be taken care of together yeah absolutely and and it's not it's it's we can say you know you have to take a break you can't work all the time like but we're going to have to really model it yeah and and leaders are going to have to model it and show and show up with showing the difference in their own lives so that everybody else feels like it's safe to do it because it's not going to work if somebody's if if the if the if the group ethos is still you know grind do the grind yeah Oh, yeah. and, and oh, you over there. Well, we know you need to take some extra time. Yeah. You know, that's not going to help anybody. Right. Well, Karen, thank you very much for the time. I know you have a killer schedule. I know your dance card is full, so I very much appreciate this time. Thank you for sharing it with us. Thank, thank you for the time. I'm going to go do my breathing exercises now. Right. <laughs> that's it for First Watch today. Big thanks to our special guest, Karen Worstel. First Watch is a production of Safeguard Cyber. It's edited by Kai Krogetti. It's original music by Matthias Cefaletti. Subscribe to First Watch wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, stay safe, stay strong. 